Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. This is the episode I was plugging last week, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Some of you may be wondering why a meditation coach is on a comedy podcast. It's a fair question, but it actually fits very well with learning about performance and creativity. A lot of comedians have used meditation to help them in their work, including Gary Shandling and Jerry Seinfeld. Meditation can help you focus, be present, and absorb everything going on around you, which are very crucial in performance. Recently, before a couple of shows, I meditated on the subway as I went into the city, and I felt like I had the best performances I've had since moving here. I felt really present, I was listening better, and it felt like I had more access and authority over my thoughts and ideas. It was really great. I have a tendency to overthink when I do improv, and meditating beforehand quieted my mind and kept me from thinking too much about the right choice to make and second-guessing those choices. I wasn't going there at all. I was just in the moment and having more fun and taking in more. I truly believe you can get a lot from today's episode, so I hope that you do. A little about today's guest. Her name is Jessica Broadbeck. She's an old friend and an all-around lovely person. She is a full-time performance coach based in Miami. We do two meditations in this episode, and I know that meditation can seem hokey to some, but give it a chance. It's not hard. It's just breathing. Nothing too corny. And... These are easy to do, even if it's your first time trying meditation. So do them along with us, unless you're driving. Don't do them if you're driving. That'd be dangerous. Just a heads up, we're humming through the first meditation we do. So if you're not doing the meditation, that's going to be weird to just listen to. So if you're not in a place where you can meditate, then you can skip over it for now and come back to it when you can. It starts a little after the 35-minute mark. Or you can just listen to us hum, if that's what you're into. If that's what your kink is. (laughs) All right, well, enough chatter for now. Let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Jessica Broadbeck. It's been really great knowing you, and I'm really glad that you are on the podcast today. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. There's so much to talk about with this subject and how meditation can benefit our listeners. But first... Let's talk about your background in meditation. How long ago did you start meditating? (laughs) That's a great question. I actually took my first yoga class 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was taking it for the physical practice of yoga. Mm -hmm. And um, as my journey continued, I started to turn an eye toward meditation as another possible practice that could help me. Now I understand that the yoga asanas or the physical postures of yoga are simply pointing to or preparing the practitioner for meditation, which by the way, meditation is not so much a practice as it is a state that you reach according to ancient yoga philosophy. And so, yeah, so people are like, oh, I meditated today. Well, a lot of times we sit in the posture to prepare us for the meditation, entering the meditative state. Um, but it actually, it's more, like I said, it's more of a state that you reach. Right. So basically, yeah, over time, I started to get really clear that meditation was something that I wanted to bring into my life more and more. And at the same time, I was seeing the anxiety that I had been experiencing on a daily basis um, for years and years begin to dissipate. So 14 years ago, I was breathing with a rapid heart, or I was breathing like a rabbit. I would have rapid heartbeat every day when I woke up. And I took on all of these practices over time in order to heal the anxiety that was taking over my life. Um, that's why I teach what I teach now to companies. It's the same reason 
Yeah, and that's really great, but it's also something that is at least new to me. And maybe that's because I've been so into the comedy world. I've heard plenty about companies bringing in an improviser to teach them some soft skills about listening. But I hadn't heard so much until I started seeing your Be Like Consulting company, people bringing in meditation coaches for that. I think that is so great. Yes. <laughs> yeah, as do I. And I think that it's still something that is newer. Um, you know, I was practicing, obviously, yoga and mindfulness and meditation are millennia old. Um, and... I haven't really seen a lot of companies adopting these types of practices until more recently. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there are even insurance companies that are implementing these programs is something that that companies can take on if they're their provider. Right. So there's a massive wave happening. And I think that it started in the mainstream with, um, you know, mainstream icons like Oprah and Eckhart Tolle and Deepak Chopra. And it's starting to enter the corporate spaces as well, which is very exciting because I've observed the corporate world as being a place where these tools can absolutely be extremely effective for people because they're under so much pressure and stress every day. Oh, yeah. And this is exactly where I come from. You know, I come from working at an advertising agency, um, working for uh, an, an international software company, um, implementing healthcare software. And so I understand what it's like to be on the other side of it, which is why I'm so passionate about bringing it. Right. I mean, it sounds like a really big deal. And you've already touched on a couple of things I wanted to know about, which is what life was like before meditation and why it was such a big deal for you when you started doing it. And, and we're hearing that. It's because it really did change things. It was such a huge game changer for you. Yes. Anyone in the ad world that's listening, they are hearing two sides of this that's really good. They can learn from the podcast, like last week's episode, about how to maybe find other ways to crack open an idea. And this week, it's how to deal with the stress. <laughs> so yeah. a really, really great one-two uh, combination. I don't want to say one-two punch because, you know, meditation <laughs> doesn't bring up the idea of punching. But... <laughs> It's a good combo. <laughs> well, I think that's actually a great segue into a point that I'd like to make, Jason, and that's that meditation isn't necessarily all uh, roses either. Meditation is a tool that allows us to bring a greater awareness to our everyday life, to the way that we're living and being in our lives, because uh, if you want to go a little bit deeper, the way that our life shows up outside of us is the quality of who we are and who we're being inside. Mm -hmm. And so if we shift our internal states, then we literally shift everything that we see outside of us. And so in meditation, we might start to see things, right? See things and ways of being that have impacted others, maybe in ways that have hurt them or um, ways that we're not paying attention to ourselves and our needs the way that we need to. And so as we go through the practice, it is, it's almost like exploring through this jungle. You don't necessarily know what you're going to find until you bring the light of awareness to it. The benefit is that you can continue to, as you bring awareness, you can continue to refine your life in order to live the best life that you envision for yourself. Um, because the truth is that we're already whole, perfect, and complete. And you mentioned about bringing on a therapist and, and the way that she was teaching about working with negative thoughts. Meditation allows us to see whatever is there. And if you bring mindfulness to it, it's also observing with compassion and non-judgment. Right. And then choosing what works and what doesn't work and right. taking that back into your life. I listened to a podcast that had a meditation on negative thoughts. And it was talking about being like, the getting to a pleasant state of mind and when a negative thought came to mind, instead of running away from it, uh, metaphorically speaking, to sort of bring that into your peaceful mindset mm. so that you can just calm down and observe it mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, what we normally do, which is feel a lot of anxiety and start feeling down about ourselves. And then the negative self-talk starts, you know, it's, it's, it was really, eye-opening 
Yeah. There's so many different kinds of meditations. And you're right uh, when you say that it's not all roses because I think a lot of people expect things to get better quickly, but it doesn't always work that way. I mean, yes, I mentioned that I did a meditation you gave me right before a show and that it helped, but that wasn't the first time I did that meditation. It wasn't the first time I did any sort of meditation. I had done it several times before then. And I think it is important to mention that and say, listen, it's going to take some time. Just like if you want to lose 15 pounds and, you know, you want to change your eating habits and go to the gym, it's not going to happen in a couple of days. It's going to take a concerted effort and a lot of responsibility maybe on your part, but it's going to take a little time. And being patient with that is definitely something I think people should be aware of or mindful of. Mm. Uh, uh, pardon the pun, <laughs> but it is yeah, something, uh, you know, it, I guess the good thing though is with meditation, it's helping you calm down. Uh, so if you do it one time or a couple of times and don't see the results that you want to see, you're at least a little more at peace about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for bringing that up because I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the first thing is that um, the Course in Mir- A Course in Miracles, it's a book. Um, it talks about how a miracle is a shift in perspective. So whether you're religious or not, you know, miracle has a certain weightedness about it, depending on what <laughs> your background and upbringing is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you just look at a miracle is a shift in perspective. That's it. Then a miracle or a, a complete change of mind and beingness can happen in an instant. Mm-hmm. And this is something I teach when I go into corporations. I literally teach people how to change their state from stressed out, overwhelmed, negative to feeling positive and uplifted in as few as three to five minutes, right? How do we do that? The practice of meditation, yoga, mindfulness, to give us the opportunity to take a step back to observe, like you said, become the witness of what's happening without necessarily attaching to it. So instead of holding on to those thoughts and pushing them away and resisting, we can instead be with those thoughts and just observe them and not make them who we are. Because the truth is that we if we're able to observe them, then there's a part of us that's not that thought. I like that. Does that make sense? That yeah. makes sense. And I... What part of you is observing that thought? Right. Oh, like, gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, really? You know, and if you've ever been upset, sometimes I'll tell, tell clients, so I work with clients one-on-one, and, and I'll say, you know, have you ever been in a situation where you've been really upset? But not all of you was upset. There was a part of you that was observing that part of you that was upset. Right. That's like, um, it's like they're partitions in us or something and they're different aspects. And, and also another way to look at it is how many times have you gone through an experience and you were not upset about it? And then you went through a similar experience, very similar experience and were very upset about it. And you're, you're this, you're still you, you're still a, the same person, but somehow you came at both situations from completely different perspectives. <laughs> you know, there are times where someone did something really rude to me and I said, oh, he must be having a really bad day and my heart goes out to him. And then another time when someone did something a little less rude and I just got fighting mad, you know, <laughs> spitting yeah. anger about it, you know, and it's What's the difference? It, it, was it a digression on my part or was or what? Love it. Love these questions. So, and this is actually the second point that I wanted to make is that these practices give us these internal resources to be able to handle whatever is happening outside of us. So when I was experiencing my norm as anxious and stressed, then when something came, quote unquote, at me, which it never really does, you know, we're also generating our lives and, and what we see outside of us. But if something happened outside of me, then I might be more reactive because I was already in that fight or flight mode, right? right. So what happens when we're cultivating the space of peace and calm and equanimity inside of us is that it becomes this inner strength, this inner resilience. I have a friend who's also a teacher and he, um, 
he teaches the Tao Te Ching and and he teaches about how you have this lower Dantian and and you can build these coins and put them in your in your lower Dantian like a little bank, you know? And then when you need them like Super Mario Brothers, you can pull out the coins without depleting yourself in the process. So when you were talking earlier about how it it takes time, it's an interesting thing because it can happen in a moment. You can in one moment you can see somebody cut you off and make the choice that you're gonna respond differently, right? Right. You can. Yeah. You can see it, you can see your natural reaction like, ah, you know, and stop. Or, okay, I'm gonna choose compassion, right? Mm-hmm. Now, doing that becomes easier when you begin to create this space that mindfulness and meditation provide us. Right. And when we're cultivating that space, that ease, that lightness, not the, the crunched heaviness, you know, speedy kind of existence that is so many of our, I'll speak for Americans, existence, when we're cultivating that, our reaction is going to be completely different. Right. And in today's culture, I would say it's so popular to be busy and stressed and overwhelmed and doing a million things. And it's not actually what's going to support us as human beings, nor us as high performers. You're right. And I was actually going to talk about that because I feel that people have a lot of things that can distract them. I mean, you know, not even just smartphones, though that's in the Internet. Of course, there's a lot of opportunity for distractions there, but all the different activities we've had more than ever before. CrossFit wasn't something people were talking about 20 years ago. You know, like going to a, a brewery and having a tour wasn't an activity 20 years ago either. There, there are a lot of things that can just be on our minds to, to, as an opportunity to just go out, go do things. And I think that spreads our focus pretty thin in a lot of ways. And I think also, it doesn't give us a chance to just sit and kind of be uh, calm and be in the moment and be present with your surroundings because it's always go, 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 even if it's going out to have fun. You know, it's still just go, go, go. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great temptation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And And I get it. You know, everybody else is doing it's like the air that we breathe now. Everybody's so packed. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's this fun place to go to and that fun place to go to and this show on Netflix to watch and this movie and that thing and this. And it's, you know, those individual things are, are great, but we just aren't built to take them all in. And I think we need to spread things out a little bit more so that we can appreciate them more. Mm-hmm. Yes. So something that I've definitely learned in this journey, because trust me, like, it has been a, a real journey for me to understand how to deprogram or reprogram my mind from being, you know, from these certain neural pathways that are so quickly connecting anything that happens with the amygdala, that fear center of the brain. Um, you know, it's something I think I've experienced since childhood. So learning how to cultivate a different way of being has been this life uh, this life journey for me. So yeah. what I've learned in that is number one, that you can, you can reprogram your mind. There's talk about it these days, you know, it's called neuroplasticity. Um, there is also uh neural pruning, which is basically, you know, creating new synapses where the old synapses die because you're not using the same connections. You're not thinking the same thoughts as before. There was actually a study done at UC Berkeley and they looked at the hippocampus part of the brain and they found that a person under chronic stress actually had their, the hippocampus part of the brain, which is the short-term memory, mm-hmm. um, part of the brain actually shrink in size. and. Wow. And between the amygdala and the hippocampus, um, it fired faster. In other words, if somebody encountered a stressful situation, they would react even more quickly to it. 
Right? So the brain thinks that it's doing something good because it's becoming really good at being stressed. Right. It actually produced less fewer neurons, which is the gray matter part of the brain, and more white matter, which is responsible for the parts of the brain communicating with itself, sending different signals across the brain. Mm. So how does an individual go from being chronically stressed or stressed over a long period of time to having a different experience? Um, what I've found is that it really does take practice. I like to say in one of my talks, by the way, I give a mindful performance series of eight presentations to companies. So that's like the main thing that I do right now in addition to working with individuals. And in one of the talks, I say a study showed that the people in the group that didn't practice meditation but wanted to practice meditation didn't have the same results as the people that practiced the meditation. And this is literally in a study because they had a control group that was going to do it after right. the, the primary group. And I thought it was such a funny comment in the study um, because and it's because it's just so true. And it's something that I think we all experience as human beings. We have these intentions, but we don't necessarily do the practice, right? right. Oh, How yeah. I mean, people do that off. with the gym. Yeah. Like, oh, they got a gym membership. They don't go to the gym or, you know, various to-do list items around the apartment or house. Yes. And so this is something I, I tell my clients over and over is, you know, it, it only works if you do the practice. And the yeah. cool thing is, that if you do the practice, you don't have to fight the mind. That's another thing that I think we don't always think about is that our respiratory system is connected to our autonomic nervous system. And so what that means is that we can actually use our breath to calm the mind. We don't actually have to fight with our mind consciously and go, I'm not stressed, but I'm still stressed, but I'm not stressed. Have you ever done that? Kind of like trying to negotiate with the mind, oh, yeah. like, okay chill out or whatever right yeah i've definitely had the moment where i've thought no it's my body i'm I'm controlling how i feel right now you don't get to decide body (laughs) and your and your mind or your body's like yep whatever right so so then what so then what do we do we have these secret entryways into taming our our nervous system by accessing, let's say, the breath would be like the lead sled dog and everything else follows. So if you actually, that's what they say when you're stressed, breathe, right? But that's not really that helpful to hear when you're stressed. So then what do you do? You learn practices that are called pranayama, which is prana is a life force. So they're actually practices that help you work with your life force energy, also known as chi and other disciplines, right? Being the breath in order to control it so that when you begin to elongate the breath, for example, slow the breath down, it also begins to take you into the parasympathetic response, the rest and restore versus fight or flight. And all you do is breathe. What I think is very interesting about this, because I haven't haven't talked to someone at length about meditation, so there's no reason for me to have heard this before, but I have not heard anyone talk about how much everything is really connected. Because I think the general thought about meditation is that it's a spiritual thing. And there's some people uh, who are religious, they'll say, well, no, no, I can't do meditation. It's some other thing. Um, But it doesn't have to be that. And it also, I think, maybe has a little bit of a stigma of being not anti-science, but not scientific. And not anti-medicine, but not medical. But things that you're talking about are very much scientific, very much medical. You know, the, there's there's basis in all of this. And uh, I've even heard of an acting technique that's about breathing, doing a certain type of breathing just to conjure up a certain emotion. So it's just the way the body is kind of built to work. And uh, you've read all these things that have discovered that and you're connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and something that is really important to me is, you know, I come from um, a background of uh, being very skeptical. Mm. And so the, the whole reason that I designed the course that I did for corporate 
is that I, I was there, right? I was in the place of not believing in these things, not believing that they were for me, but still suffering to a very large degree. Um, and so it has been my, my life's work so far to uncover the connections and, and reach the logical reasoning side of the brain so that people can have the experience and then through the experience they're informed themselves about what works and doesn't work so i want to make sure that we get to um, practices on our call today um and you know we can do that at the end that's typically what i do in my talks as well and so you know for the first part of the talk i'm always building a case for why 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 do we care and yes also based in science because that's really the the common currency, I think, of our culture. Um, but what we're finding is that science is really catching up to what's been known for for millions, or not millions, but thousands of years. Like one one thing that I think is really notable is um, Dr. Herbert Benson of Harvard mm-hmm. has written a lot on the relaxation response. He actually coined that term, relaxation response, and it's counter to the stress response, the fight or flight. And he's actually found that the relaxation response and doing practices such as the breathing and maybe chanting mantras, um, uh, practicing meditation, these types of things have actually helped people who had never meditated before change the expression of their genes. So if you've heard of epigenetics, there's this whole concept. It's like this new, newer science that's coming out. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how we're not victims of our genes. Wow. Other factors based on, you know, our environment and also how we're interacting with our environment and our behaviors that ultimately decide how our genes express. Wow. Yes. That's like to a very large degree. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have to, I think, it was under 6%. I'm thinking it was closer to 4 or 5% um, of the diseases out there were purely genetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then there were other factors that were contributing or weren't contributing to people that actually didn't have the expression of that disease happen in their lives. Right. So then when we, when we come from that place, like, oh, my goodness, what's possible for my life? Right. If my, you know, my grandmother had Alzheimer's but that like what's possible for me yeah I mean that's a that's a life-changing bit of information yeah when we talk about the sort of things with practice that people can get one thing and it reminded me of your recent blog about practicing gratitude Mm -hmm. and how that can really change your life maybe not the genes but it can change your life it can can even the practicing gratitude it's Here's the thing. It's like all of these disciplines point to the same thing. And that is okay. that we're meant, we're meant to live happy, healthy, and free. We're not meant to be prisoner, prisoners of our minds. We're not meant to live in negativity. If you observe an animal, they're just going about their business. They're enjoying the day. They're, you know, <laughs> that little squirrel is, is digging for his, his food and storing it. They're, they're peaceful. And if they get into a thing, like a, maybe two ducks get into a fight, you'll see them then flap their feathers after it and then just get over it and move on, they right? They move on, yeah. They don't seem to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, Can you believe Harold today? Can you believe that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So humans, we don't have the same... All, because of the way that we've acculturated ourselves, we don't have the same mechanisms for this release. And we, I think we really do have... We're, most of us, if not, I should say most of us, because there are luminaries in human history, are born with untrained minds that just take us for a ride. Yeah. And so the biggest recommendation that I can make from our, if there's nothing else that anyone takes from this conversation, which I hope that people are receiving some gems from, from what I'm sharing, is that you, you are the author of your life. And you don't have to do it alone. And what I mean by that is if what you've been doing hasn't been working, then learn more. Like learn about practices that can help you and implement them in your life. Mm-hmm. It's not all a mental game. 
the practices like the breath work and the meditation, they exist because they're literally technologies for living a life that's more aligned with the truth of who we all are. Peace, happiness, love, connection, all of the beautiful things that we all want in this world. They're already of us. One of the things that I liked in that blog about practicing gratitude was the step about taking the time to be with, to be with things. And, and, and it spoke to being in the moment and slowing down and actually stopping to smell the roses and yeah. the benefit that that can actually do for people, because that is essentially what we're missing out on in life is that we're not taking the time to be with what we're with, you know, and Sometimes we do actually need to sit and 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 be with the negative moments in our lives because it's going to be better for us in the long term to actually address them in a in a truthful and honest way. And I, I really appreciated that about that. And I think it also spoke to and speaking of pointing to pointing us all in the same direction. I think it also points to performance. You know, it's it's one of the things about being present on stage as an improviser or comedian or actor, you're, you're really being with what's going on. And another thing that you said that uh, brought a thought to mind was how this, how these practices can change you and, and get you to even focus better. I remember a time, I would say 13 years ago, I was working in a, in, in radio, but I was doing traffic reporting. And there are other traffic reporters around. So there was always noise with a cacophony. And I realized I could read a book. I could, it was like almost I could tune it out and actually like read a book productively and and be able to focus on it. I can't hardly sit in a quiet room and uh, quiet my mind enough to sit and read a book and finish it in a timely fashion like I used to be able to. So it sounds like what you're saying is I can do some practices that will actually help me get back to that. I haven't lost it. I can actually find my way back to that sort of mindset. Yes. It's like a muscle that you train. Absolutely. Um, And what there was something else I wanted to share with you about that. Um, When I was speaking earlier about how you can retrain the mind Mm -hmm. um, to work for you, you can reprogram the subconscious, subconscious mind as well. Um, creating structure in your day to cultivate this part of yourself before you do anything else is another huge recommendation that I would make because there's so many distractions. The only person that's going to have you not be distracted is you. And it really takes some discipline to make sure that you're carving time out of your day to practice being still, being quiet, being with yourself. Um, and there are, you know, different books and, and resources that can help you control the time that you're spending at work and make it more productive as well. But I think that that's, you know, that's something that's crucial to be a high performer is to really guard your time and where your attention resources are going. Well, this is fascinating. This is all really, really <laughs> interesting. I, I think I myself am going to have to listen to this a couple of times for it all to really <laughs> um, Let's talk about the practices that you were talking about before we go into the end of the episode. Um, you wanted to mention a few practices. Yes. Let's do that now. Yeah, great. Okay, so um, the first one we'll practice is we, we talked about the breath. So I think it'd be good to start there. I'll mention two. I was actually doing one earlier today. So we have people in the audience that, that tend toward the anxious side or tend to be more stressed out than not. Um, this is called the bee breath. And it's called that because it sounds like a little bee buzzing. And you can find the pitch that you want. And you there's a mudra or a hand position that you can do. Um, but we won't do that today because... Viewers, I mean, the listeners can't really see it. Um, you can look it up, be breath, and you'll find it. Um, but it works regardless. And, and all you do is you just close your eyes and you hum loudly um, and do it for about five minutes. 
And, um, and we'll do that together, I think, for probably about two. And then I'll check back in with you to see how it was for you, Jason. Okay. okay. All right, cool. So let's go ahead and roll the shoulders forward, up, back, and down. Plant your feet on the floor, hips at distance apart, your knees at a 90-degree angle. And just rest back on your sits bones so you're not leaning forward or back. Got a long spine here, and you're grounding down to those two points of the pelvis. Close your eyes. And observe your body in this moment. Notice the breath. And the quality of your breath in this moment without trying to change it. Notice the activity of the mind. And notice how you're feeling. Now we'll enter into the B breath. So when you come to the end of the exhale, you'll just inhale and begin humming again. And you'll hear me when I um, stop us around one to two minutes. So go ahead and inhale. You should be humming right along with me. Inhale. normally just come back to your regular breathing keep your eyes closed and notice how you feel and gently open your eyes when you're ready how do you feel i feel i feel two things i feel pleasant but i also feel like i did i did it wrong <laughs> oh okay and what's showing up for you there well, I just feel like I was getting too focused on like my chair and how I was sitting in it and like am I doing it right? And then I was like, am I humming loud enough? And then I was getting like, oh, am I trying too hard to match your tone? You know, like the same pitch <laughs> and uh, all these all these sort of things. It's like uh, I, I get really caught up in the technical aspect of things and if I'm doing the form right. Yeah. So that's a great opportunity to notice how you do you, right? Yeah. So that's something else that shows up in our meditation, mindfulness practices, yoga too, is what's happening here is also showing up outside of here. I call this like our Petri dish. Mm -hmm. So we get to 
see how we're showing up in our lives because we take out all the other factors and it's just you and you. <laughs> and then you get to see it. It becomes a little bit more apparent, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's not that much to focus on or distract us. And so there's a lot of value in seeing, oh, hey, I might have missed something because I was so internally focused on my, like, on the technology, on the tech piece of it. I, I, I even, I think I might have missed the experience. Like, where else is that happening? Interesting. Um, right? And then also, um, this is why I recommend to people that they do work with someone mm-hmm. is that there are common pitfalls or things that happen in these practices that show up for a lot of people. And this is one of them, Jason. But you might not know that if you don't talk to somebody who does it. Right, right. <laughs> guide you. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so I mean, okay. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's okay that that happened. And as you practice, you'll start to notice that you're better able to focus and concentrate on the, the breathing aspect of it, which will have your mind begin to subside. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is really good advice, and I think uh, it applies to a lot of things. And someone actually gave me some advice similar to that when I was saying I, I felt like I wasn't doing well in a improv practice, and that was sort of in my head. And he said, you know, it's kind of good to bring that into a practice mode where you're learning to mm, associate yeah. them with one another. And it's a similar note that you're doing. Yeah, like allowing, right? Right. Allow and, it to be what it is. Don't judge it. And by the way, allowing is the opposite of resistance. Mm. Right? And consider that any stress that's present in your life is resistance. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm feeling a lot of stress these days, so a lot of resistance. <laughs> yeah, so then and you know, we haven't talked about it a lot um in this session. The flow state, right, is mm-hmm. is ultimately when we reach the flow state, and this is the pinnacle of, of what I teach, is ultimately where we can move into a different state of being, mm-hmm. which is this state of high performance, high focus, full engagement, full enjoyment, and the stress fall, the negative stress falls away. Mm-hmm. And this is what uh, Mihai Cheek set Mihai termed the flow state. Um, it's also known as ecstasy uh, or bliss or um, happiness. There, there are different flavors and shades of, of this experience, but mental cortex, part of the brain, begins to become less active. And by the way, that's also the part that's weaving the stories about who we are and the self-critic mm-hmm. and the one that's judging and so it's an interesting phenomenon that when we enter into the flow, we're literally shifting the way that our brain is perceiving and interacting with our world. Right. I think um, there are a lot of things that you've said that I've, even when you have uh, started to go into something else, like something new came to mind about what you had previously said. <laughs> like there's so yeah. many times there's things like, like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then it sinks in a little bit more, like five seconds later or something like that. It's it's that chock full of great information. Mm. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Um, what shall we move on to now? Uh, are we ready for the uh, the senses meditation that we could do to end the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. And this only takes about three minutes anyway, so we'll be good. Perfect. Yeah, yeah this will be great. Okay. So go ahead and roll your shoulders forward, up, back, and down. John Kabat Zinn, one of the modern day, uh, I would call them modern day fathers of this mindfulness movement, uh, which, by the way, started at the University of Massachusetts Hospital, created a program there called the Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction Program. Um, he talks about this posture being the dignified posture. Mm-hmm. So nobody really needs to. Uh, have any more explained after that right it's like we all know what it means to be to feel dignified so we sit with a long spine and go ahead and close your eyes when you're ready and bring your awareness back to your breath 
follow the breath into your nostrils. All the way down into the bottom part of your lungs. Back out. Again on the exhale. With every exhale, feel your body relaxing. Continue to maintain this dignified posture and you feel your body sinking down into the chair. With every exhale, releasing excess tension or strain from the day. Now bring all of your attention to the way that your body makes contact with the chair. If there's a breeze in the room, the way that the AC or the breeze touches your skin. And the way that your clothes make contact with your body. Notice the taste in your mouth. Notice the smell in the air. Notice the sounds outside of this room. Notice the sounds inside of this room. And notice the sounds inside of your body. Continue to breathe naturally. And with the next inhale, gently open your eyes. And without making up any stories about anything, simply begin to look around. Continue to look. Just look around, noticing without judging. And you're ready. Don't open your attention. Back. And notice how you feel.
<laughs> it's very calming. Yeah. When we practice mindfulness, the part of there are different parts of our brain that switch on and off as well. Yeah, I think that last deep breath I took um, sort of brought me back into a different mindset for sure. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here, Jessica. Yes, it has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I would like to share that if there are any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. And if you have any of those questions, you can reach Jessica at BeLightConsulting.com and follow her on Instagram and Facebook at BeLightConsulting. She teaches companies mindful performance training. Check out all she can do on the Be Light Consulting website. Links in bio. At the beginning of the episode, I said I did a meditation on the subway before a couple of shows. The senses meditation we did at the very end was that meditation, and I found it really helpful. So try it out yourself. In a couple of days, we're actually going to post a mini episode of just that meditation. So you can have easy access to it whenever you need it. Download that, keep it on your phone, and let Jessica guide you before shows. If you try it, let us know how it went. We want to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at There It Is Pod. So glad I could share this episode with you. If you like what we're doing here and want to support us, you can do that. We have a couple of support options on thereitispod.com. We have monthly supporters, which is so kind. A big thank you to them. We are so thankful for all the support. Well, that's today's episode. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.